Hello ladies, I have the pleasure of teaching through the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words as they are sometimes referred. These commandments were given to the new nation of Israel at a time where they were ready to receive them and to follow them. As we know, before being in the wilderness, the people of Israel had spent hundreds of years in Egypt as slaves, so they would not have been able to successfully keep the commandments they were given by God on Mount Sinai, which we'll talk about more later, because they were under someone else's control. So now that they are out of Egypt and in the desert, in the wilderness, um, on their way to the promised land, God has given them these commandments. My goal of this teaching is to make the Ten Commandments clearer, easier to understand, as well as talk about how they relate to us as Christians today and what it looks like for us to follow them. This week is focused on the first five commandments, continuing to study the next five during next week's lesson. The book put it very simply that the reason to split these into two separate weeks is not just because the Ten Commandments uh, are a large amount of content, but also because the first five talk about honoring God and those who are put in authority over us, and the final five talk about honoring other people, our neighbors. So jumping right in, let's talk about the first commandment. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. For the Israelites, this was especially prevalent, as I mentioned earlier, and we've seen earlier in Exodus, the people of Israel had just been freed from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. This meant they were completely immersed in a culture that supported and followed various gods uh, for different aspects of life. The Israelites would be especially vulnerable to falling back into this pattern because it was so recent for them. And all the time that they lived in this environment, that's all that they were around. That's all that they were shown. The next thing is that there is no other God. He is it. We saw this um, when God sent the plagues to Egypt. The Israelites saw it. The Egyptians saw it. God showed his ultimate power over all when he sent the plagues to Egypt each one intentionally designed to connect to a specific false god of the Egyptians. So it wasn't just, I'm going to show all of this power and do all of these random things. We learned in the first half of the book that it was very specific and it connected to a god in different areas or different aspects of Egyptian life that they believed controlled their world. And God was like, no, I'm it. I'm all there is. And so I'm going to show it. I'm going to prove it to you. So we know that he is the one true God. And so we made that a commandment. The Israelites are also already in need of the reminder through this commandment that God is who he says he is and that he has all of the power and that he will keep his promises. They've already complained that he isn't able to provide for them. They are losing their trust in whether he is who he says he is. So once again, he has to remind them and make it into a command that this is now a law, that there will be no other gods before him. We are called to worship God and God alone. As Christians today, we're not immune to breaking this command. We might not be combining principles of Christianity and other religions or putting different gods to different parts of our lives. Um, 
but we are vulnerable to putting something at the same level as God. When we say, I need God, but I also need stability in my job. I need God and I need the perfect body. I need God, but I also need, I also need this. I also need this. The list goes on and on. We all have something that at some point makes us think that if we didn't have this one thing, we wouldn't know what to do. Or if we had it, then everything else would fall into place and we would be okay. When we start to split our allegiance, our obedience, our worship between God and something else, we are breaking the first commandment. So what's the solution? How do we keep ourselves from breaking the command? Keep God and only God at the center. That's it. Very simple. God is at the center and nothing else. Moving on to the second commandment. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first thing I want to address, which is a question from the homework associated with this commandment, is that the second commandment is different from the first. Why do we have two different commandments that seem the same? In this case, we're creating something and then worshiping it as if it is God. I'll repeat that. The second commandment is different from the first because in this case, we are creating and then worshiping something that is presented as if it is God where the first is talking about worshiping something that is not God. When talking about a physical object, a carved object is subject to certain limits, and it implies that our God has limits when we know him to be limitless. It is a misrepresentation of who God is to all that see it, not just to us, but whoever sees this false image, this carved image, they will believe in the limitations that that image has or that object has and apply that to the God that we serve. This commandment also continues to discuss how much of an impact breaking it will have. I know from personal experience as many parents or anyone that works with kids knows that children learn a lot from watching us. Monkey see, monkey do. So it's more so in our actions speaking louder than our words when it comes to the next generation. So if we're modeling the behavior of breaking this commandment, it's going to stick. And it's going to stick so hard and be so hard to break. And God just does not want that to happen. So he warns us the impact of breaking this command and modeling this behavior. Today, the way that this commandment would be broken is when we carve out aspects of God's character to suit our needs and our lives. So we may not be whittling or carving or molding a physical object out of clay, wood, whatever, to be an image of God, but we can withhold aspects of God's character when we talk to someone. We might be trying to motivate someone to follow him and to believe in 
what we believe in. And so we carve out aspects of God that make us feel uncomfortable. We carve out things that might rub someone or us the wrong way. We don't want the harsh, angry, just God that punishes people, which we've seen in this um, in this earlier chapter or earlier part of Exodus. We don't want that God. We want the God that loves, the God that forgives. And so we're just going to block out those other parts of God and that whittles down who he is. Because our God is all of those things and rightfully so. So we're carving our own image of him. In the homework, there was a question about what physical representation of the invisible God does deserve our worship. What is acceptable? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ deserves our worship. He is the physical representation of the invisible God. He is God coming down to earth. He is God coming down to make himself human and to walk our path in order to save us and bring us back to God and rebuild that relationship. So Jesus Christ is the only physical representation, physical representation of the invisible God that deserves our attention or our worship. Now, as I was reading in Genesis, when it came to the commandment regarding Sabbath, which we'll cover in a little bit, I was reminded that we are all created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We should be working and focusing on carving ourselves, so to speak, to be more and more like God. We should not be trying to carve or diminish or limit the God that we have. Rather, we should be carving ourselves and working on ourselves and walking and talking to be more like God, the God that we were created after. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The book has this commanded, commandment laid out as you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, which is probably how a lot of us have learned it or heard it growing up. At least that's what I was reminded of when I was growing up. And I remember it feeling so scandalous being younger and hearing other people say the full OMG and being absolutely floored to hear people around me using profanities or cuss words. And I expected that to be the worst thing in the world. Like they were going to fall through the cracks of the earth or they were going to be struck down by lightning and I did not want to be near it or I didn't want to be a part of it. And I remember growing up and slowly starting to adapt and use those words here and there, just feeling like I was doing something a little bit wrong. And then eventually you grow out of that. And maybe you grow into being able to use that language a little bit more casually. As someone who was rededicated only two years ago, I was very aware of how easily I had integrated various words into my conversations as a way to embellish what I was saying. And it was a very hard habit to break. It was so easy to keep doing it. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of conscious effort sometimes to not revert back. 
But what I love about the way the NIV version translates this verse is it makes this commandment much more expansive than just cuss words and saying OMG. It's not just about omitting certain words from your thoughts and your vocabulary, but making sure that none of our words, none of our words are used in a way that misuse God's name or misrepresent, negatively depicts who God is or his character. It's like doing something that does not align with who God is or his character, but communicating that you are doing it in the name of the Lord. It's using the Lord or using God's name as a scapegoat to push responsibility off of you and onto God in a way that doesn't line up to who he is. And that's how we break the commandment today. So it's being mindful, being wise with your words, and always making sure to speak truth, especially when it comes to our Lord. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Wow. Very descriptive, very specific, and very intentional. For the Israelites, they have been recently freed from slavery, where they were treated harshly and pushed to work constantly. There was never a moment of rest for them. And so the idea of rest of any kind, especially an entire day, would be a very foreign concept and would be very hard to begin practicing. And it would need to be a command. It would need to be a law to be followed so that they would become used to it, make it more of a habit, make it more of a routine and get it through that it is important to take that time to rest. I think for us today, we can be so go, go, go all the time that when we get the opportunity for rest, it almost feels wrong. Like we're supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be getting something done. And any moment that is not productive, any moment where we're just sitting there getting some peace seems wasted. It seems very wrong and very hard. When the reality is that it's important to set aside time for true rest, and true rest allows for the Lord to work. True rest gives us an opportunity to grow closer to God, to hear God speak to us, to take a moment to evaluate what's going on or what happened the week before or what will happen in the weeks coming. And when we talk about rest, it really could be anything that brings you joy. For me, it looks like playing a game on my Switch or watching a few episodes of Friends. Whatever gives you the feeling of rest and isn't any form of of labor. It points to the story of creation in Genesis when it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Our rest is not supposed to come at the expense of someone else's. So there's rest, and then what we're talking about here is Sabbath rest. So the commandment also states that state that our sons, daughters, servants, whoever, need to respect the Sabbath as well. And we need to respect allowing others to find their rest while we are receiving ours. And what I mean by this or what that would look like um, today is for me, I'd like to go and get my hair done because I like the idea of someone else washing my hair. It's a very small task, but it means a lot when I don't have to do it and I can just sit there and enjoy. But for me to get my hair washed, someone else has to be working and laboring to wash my hair. It's the same concept of going to a restaurant on the Sabbath or going out to dinner so that you don't have to cook any meals, but that has the waiters and the cooks and the different staff at the restaurant working to allow you to have that restful experience. So true Sabbath rest is rest that does not infringe upon someone else's ability to rest. All right, home stretch. Last of the five commandments for this week's teaching. And that is to honor your mother or your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I don't know about you, but I heard a lot of this growing up from my parents, from anyone that was older than me. Um, that was just on repeat. Honor your father and mother. If you did anything that kind of like disobeyed your mother and father or you were breaking some rules or maybe you, someone didn't see your behavior as being respectful, then they would kind of throw this one out there to just like push you down a little bit. But I want to point out the fact or talk about the fact that this commandment is not being given to children. God did not separate out, or Moses did not separate out the adults and children for this one commandment. These are adults receiving the command to honor and care for their mothers and fathers. <clears throat> this act is to be modeled for all generations to come. We are commanded, these people, the Israelites, were commanded to care and respect their elders, their mothers and fathers. We want to model this behavior because at some point, eventually, we all will grow older. And so it is our hope that our children would in turn care for us in the way that they see us care for our parents. So again, it's just like the carved idols or carved images commandment. What our children see, they will do more so than what we say to them. The behavior that we model is what they're going to stick with more so than what we tell them. And so it's important that we follow it with this commandment as well. Now, if you have wonderful stellar parents that did everything right, so to speak, it can be easy to visit them, send them a card on the holidays, take care of them, show them honor, talk about them in a positive light to your kids. But some people don't have it that easy. And God understands that. 
he knows that not every parent child relationship, every relationship with your parent is going to be great. There's strained relationships. There's death of the parent where your parents aren't with us anymore. And so it, it kind of seems harder and harder to honor them. And this is where I want to touch on spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. The men and women in your life that were spiritual mentors that took you under their wing, maybe a manager at a job or a coworker that was older at a job taking you under their wing and showing you the ropes or believing in you and encouraging you um, and speaking life into you. These are also the people that we can honor so that we can keep this commandment of honoring your mother and father. It's not just about your biological parents, which is really great because I have had some wonderful people speak into my life. I have had some wonderful people take me under their wing and show me that I could do anything and have encouraged me through hard times. And so I can honor them in the same way that I might honor my mother and father and keep this commandment. I want to thank you for sitting and listening to my teaching. I am going to close in prayer. And so we can just take a minute to be in prayer with one another. Father God, I am just so, so thankful for the God that you are. Whether it be thousands of years ago with the Israelites or right here today in this moment, you are providing for us. You are intentionally guiding us in this life. You are keeping the promises that you've made. And I'm just so glad to be called your child, be called your beloved. And I pray for the women that are listening to this teaching that that you were able to speak to them through my words, that something could be laid on their heart that would draw them closer and closer to you, Lord. And I can't wait to see what the rest of this study does for the lives of these women. We love you. We honor you. And we will work diligently to serve you and keep your commands every day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.